one. Well, hi everybody, and Merry Christmas. Hope you all are opening your Christmas presents as you have your computer on. And we're running this Christmas Eve while Mom and I sneak out for a little while. We'll be back live. But let me say hello to Patricia. Merry Christmas, Patricia. How are you? I am fine. Merry Christmas to you, and hello, everybody. And we have a special guest. Very special. Somebody I've known all my life. There's not too many people I can say about that, but this guy's known me all my life. And for the general public, he is General J.B. Davis, retired. And for me, he's my Uncle Jim. So, Uncle Jim, thank you for doing the show for us. My pleasure. <laughs> Our pleasure. General Davis, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for being available to spend time with us and spending the time with us today. I'd like to talk a little bit about your growing up years in Nebraska. Walden always reminds me of um, Nebraska, and every time something happens in Nebraska, he makes sure everybody else knows it as well. And you are Nebraska. Tell me about Christmas traditions that your family had. Well, we always had Christmas at home. That was my father's, uh, I don't want to say mandate, but that's what always happened with my aunt and uncle. It was my father's sister. And her uh, husband, they had no kids, so Sandra and I, my sister, and I sort of became their their family. <clears throat> and there's always several jokes about that. They, We would have dinner, we'd always have turkey and mashed potatoes uh, and all the other accoutrements, including my mother was a farm girl, and so there's always two or three baked pies in there and a cake or something. And as a child, I consumed a lot of that, uh, along with the turkey and the mashed potatoes. Uh, when you went to to my Uncle Walden's house, or Uncle Wad, uh, <clears throat> he was big on the mashed potatoes. I mean, you'd get a little piece of turkey, a lot of mashed potatoes, and some vegetables, and it's because he didn't want you to go hungry. And we always complained about it. More <laughs> turkey, please, and less mashed potatoes, but he, he didn't pay attention. <laughs> He's a wonderful get man, it? and and we enjoyed his, enjoyed him very much while we had him. What about Aunt Katie? Yeah, the rest of this. What about Aunt Katie? Oh, go ahead. What about Aunt Katie Lou? How did he? How did she brighten up the holidays? She was sure. For well, a she long... was she, she was just a little bit nuts, Walden. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, she used to play a string game on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. She would uh, tie all the strings on the banister. And then there probably were 50 or 60 strings, and they'd lead through all different rooms. They were different colored, so you wouldn't lose your way. And there would always be a little present at the end of it. And I fell down the stairs one time trying to find that string again. Oh, my. Unfortunately, I was a bouncing baby boy, so it didn't, didn't hurt any at all. But then there was, you know, the candy or some small thing. It wasn't big. But we'd been, spend about an hour or an hour and a half just finding our string as it went up the <laughs> uh, the post. And you had to crawl over them and under them. And uh, she delighted in that, and so did we. Uh, but it was typical Katie Lou. She's, uh, no, she she wasn't nuts, but I think her mother <laughs> might have been. But, but, <laughs> but not her. Aunt Katie Lou was a delight. I mean, she was oh yeah, all person out. For for my for Patricia and the yard, my aunt Kay Lou would work for her brother in the in the law office or 
Yeah. And she, well, well, she probably would type an hour or two in the morning and play cards with the insurance guys in the afternoon. I mean, in, in the office. That was at lunch, usually. <laughs> <laughs> They'd all go out to lunch together. Yeah, there's an abstract guy next door. There's an insurance guy down there, and one of the bankers used to join him for lunch. And uh, they'd play pitch or crazy eights or something. I didn't get invited to that until I was about 12. <laughs> Did they ever get back to the office? Oh, yeah. They they would be gone from about 1130 to 130. Okay. Nothing in Wayne happens in those hours. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> Walden talks about that every once in a while. And you yeah. mentioned earlier that being an attorney in Wayne, Indiana could be a pretty lonesome job. Wayne, Nebraska. Wayne, Nebraska is even uh, no. <laughs> Would you take that one out, Walden? <laughs> Please. Well, now, oh, my God. Now, for, now, for our, my Uncle Juan and KU, right after the Second World War, they, they traveled a lot overseas. Um, did they bring home presents for Christmas time from the overseas travel, Uncle Jim, or... Uh, you mean in my time or their yeah, time? In, in, the, in, in, in their time. When they, when after the Second World War, did they bring home Christmas, something for you and Mom for Christmas? Or with that? Because I know Mom has all these foreign coins from Egypt and every place that ain't KU. Those came from, they came from my dad, my grandmother, uh-huh. Dad's mother. Uh, and I brought her some. I always brought her some back. And. Uh, of places I've been. Right. I've been to, with both my active duty and my retired duty, I worked for as the uh, uh, senior fellow for National Defense University, and I took groups overseas to meet a law requirement, and I've now been to an 86 country or 56 countries. Wow. So it's uh, it's easy enough to do, but yes, uh, the, the problem with... Uh, the gifts from overseas is they weren't necessarily paid for, and uh, oh. they were just relieved and and brought back, and it was expected that uh, from Vietnam and uh, from Korea and uh, Vietnam, it was a lot more gift bringing back because you better had better transportation to get it home. Mm. What 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 would downtown Wayne? Nebraska looked like during Christmas time in the 40s? Would it be decorated? What was small town America like? It was always decorated. It always had uh, on every light pole there was a winding around it. There were lights up there. There were lights strung across the street. And uh, and the college, uh, we a little state had a little state college there. Now it's a pretty big college. Uh, Wayne State University was really decorated. And uh, the whole town did that. It wasn't just the college. And with most churches open Christmas Eve service or Christmas Day, the different churches Absolutely. that were going, yeah. You went whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> <laughs> Everything waited until after church. Well, well, that sounds reasonable. When you, in high school, when you and mom would, Playing the band, did they, were there any Christmas concerts that you guys played in for the school, or were there a church? I don't. Were there no, any I think we were on vacation, so I, I really don't think there were. The college always played some concerts. Uh-huh. They had a pretty good band, 
Ours is kind of patched together. What about Christmas in school? Any any particular thing would the different for for the audience? Maybe what, was it was it K through twelfth grade were all in the same building? No, K through yeah K through twelve were all in the same building. Not uh-huh. so anymore. But back in those days, there were forty two in my graduation class, so you can figure out how many there were. <laughs> Not very many. And can I knew everyone. Over- mm. What about the farms? It, it, you know, when the uh, the kid, the kid that came from the farm communities that came into school, were were there any differences for for the farm? No, well there was uh, about two or three of us boys got together and we got the whole class together, which wasn't very big. I think it was about fifty then. It said, okay, we're going to welcome these people. Uh, they're coming into the ninth grade, and uh, we're going to make sure that no picks on them or gives them a hard time. So we had a regular patrol out there most of the time, and they all came in there without a problem. They uh, ate their lunch in the gymnasium because they bagged it from home. We all walked home to uh, have lunch and back within an hour. So it was really pretty much uh, a smooth process uh, in that that we friended them early and took care of them and... and, uh, made sure they got integrated because we knew how, because all of us had been together since kindergarten. So, well, it, you know, there would be some clicks there, but we made sure there weren't. Were there, hey, rise, were, were there things that the community would do during yeah, the winter season? absolutely. They didn't pull them with horses anymore. They pulled them with a tractor, but uh, I went on a hay ride with my grandpa, my mom's dad, uh, with real horses, that was a thrill. I got to drive them. I had five. What about the skating rink? Were there anything outside? Would you skate on a pond? Would there be? We we had a skating rink. The town flooded a a rink uh, at the bottom of a hill, and uh, we would play hockey over there, or skate, or do whatever kids do on ice. Uh, when we get an ice storm. You could skate all the way down the hill and right into the pond. <laughs> One time, I <clears throat> had a we had glazed ice everywhere, and I skated to school. And uh, the sun came out, and I had to walk home on my bare feet because I didn't oh. bring any shoes. Oh, not good. Mom, no, that was no. It's worse than that. It's dumb. <laughs> I could have strapped shoes around my neck and had. All I'd have to do is strap the skates around my neck going to go home. Mom talks about the winter of '48. Do you remember any? Uh, you remember that? Oh God, storm? yes. What? Tell me about when, it. When when I was in school, let's say '48. I was, I guess I was a high schooler there, or at least junior junior high. <clears throat> they called all the Boy Scouts down to the superintendent's office and assigned us each three kids to take home all in the same direction, so you didn't have to take one and come back, take one. But I was out to about 5.30 or quarter to 6 that night just getting kids home. We didn't have uh, cell phones, so I couldn't call my mom and say, this is what's going on. So she was a little fussy when I got home, but completely understood after I got there. But these were kindergarten and first grade, maybe second grade kids that we would take home. And a couple of us made a couple trips, uh, even though uh, we got our three home 
pretty quickly because about three o'clock they started this, and I got home at five thirty. Mom, a lot of trekking. Mom, remember what the snowbank going up to? No, you don't know floor. how big Wayne is. It's only ten blocks to my house, and we were right on the edge of town, so it's not that much walking. In a in a blizzard, and it's well, yeah, you've kind of yeah. had your head down, but it really wasn't. But we we got an inch an hour for thirty six hours, I think. Wow, that's and a snowstorm. No, well, it's typical Nebraska. All the grocery state put up a cot and stayed in their grocery store and held it open as long as they had food on the shelves. And uh, so, but you couldn't get there. Uh, yeah. The guy across the street from me had a Jeep, and we took orders for from 10 families around our house and got in that Jeep, got stuck twice, but we got out and uh, got down there, got it, and delivered the goods, and, and uh, it was well thought of. I would think I so. Think That's a small town, America. Thrilled. Yeah, it is middle America. You can't beat it. And we've lost so much of it, if not all of it, over the years. Well, you kind of go back to Wayne. It's almost like that. Is it really? They still retain. The, Nobody. The... Oh yeah, you stop alongside the road, even if you want to look at the cows out in the pasture, and somebody stops behind you and wants you to know if you need any help. Wow. Oh my it goodness! Late last August. People are afraid to wave to each other in this environment yeah, in so many there. areas. We didn't even lock her. I'll tell you one cute story. I, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I can't remember which, I told my mother that I needed the key to the house, and she said, "When you get a hair on your chest, you can." <laughs> so I displayed one one time. She pulled it out and she said, "We don't have any keys." Oh. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. The parents were so creative, inventive, yep. and we've yep. even lost that. We are talking with Walden's Uncle Jim, but for the rest of us, we are talking with General James B. Davis, J.B. Davis, United States Air Force, retired. And we are pre-recorded on December fifteenth, two 2016, so we're not able to take calls, but we're going to have a good time here. Can we talk about your active duty years? Sure. You observed Christmases outside the United States, inside the United States, some with family, some with not. I'd like to talk to you about your experiences and how people under your command celebrated, especially when in other countries. What was Germany well, like? To start off with, we, we uh, enjoyed uh, not only the traditional Christmas, but we uh, St. Nicholas came to the house in Germany, uh, he also came to the house in, uh, actually, we lived in a, uh, a, a monastery the first time we went to Belgium. And uh, he came to the house there. It, it, the kids just lit up like nobody's business. So did we, for that matter. But <laughs> it, it just uh, was one of those things that was unusual, something that they hadn't experienced before. And St. Nick came in and. He's all dressed in red and dusty with coal, and and they were just absolutely trans 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 transported somewhere else for that part of time. It was wonderful. Uh, We didn't have any kids with us when we went to Japan. We came back and visited each one of them one year at uh, Omaha. 
Oh, Alexandria, Omaha, and, and San Francisco. And now they're Alexandria, Spokane, and San Francisco. As a matter of fact, we're going out to visit our youngest daughter uh, in December. Uh, they they really they they're quick to pick up languages, and they they really uh, in like in Germany we live next to a German couple who did not speak English. Uh, he spoke French, and since I spoke French, it was easy for me to communicate to him. But uh, the kids the kids didn't have much problem because they soon picked it all up. But my wife was not fluent in German, and so she she had a couple of long evenings. But uh, before I got home, but as soon as I got there, it was fine. We we chat up in French, so they they enjoyed the experiences of each one of those, and uh, something that'll never replace in their mind. They'll still talk about it. Gosh, this is really great. Tell me what your kids learned in addition to the language, and what did your neighbors learn from you? Well, uh, let's start with the neighbor. The the neighbor in Germany uh, l- learned how to snowball fight. <laughs> we had one of the biggest snowball fights in the backyard. They'd never seen one, and and we won because I had a a boy that it was a pretty good pitcher in a baseball team, and he could nail almost anybody he wanted. They were random. It was more like. Uh, uh, Straight cannon shells. They, they didn't hit us very much, and uh, and then we all had some stops. Not me, not the kids, but uh, they had some grape juice, and we all went home laughing. And in Belgium, <clears throat> when the kids were with us, uh, we had uh, a babysitter who was Belgian. When Carol and I had to go out for some reason or other, and we became good friends with their family. Still are, uh, and. Uh, although some of them passed away. But we enjoyed all the Belgian traditions at the same time and the Belgian foods and some foods that we didn't think we were going to like, uh, or at least the kids didn't end up loving. And uh, we played games, Belgian games and and, uh, American games. You ought to try playing, uh, what was that game, Uh, Password with somebody foreign. It's a bit frustrating. (laughs) Did you ever finish? Oh, no, uh, they tip the board over. Say, I don't understand this. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Tell me about the, the Belgian Belgian foods and traditions at Christmas time. Belgian Belgian traditions are easier. This it's about like the German ones. So they have Saint Nicholas comes early, uh, and then he comes where you don't when you don't see him. Uh, they celebrate Christmas very hard with religious ceremonies and. And a lot of singing going on. The uh, Belgian kids, uh, the Belgian food is magnificent. It's better than the French. Maybe you ought not print that, but uh, it's better than the French in that the French use a lot of sauces and they use a lot of cooking. Uh, their favorite food is the uh, uh, is the hare and prunes, which is okay, but. It's not something I would ask for at home. And I did a lot of hunting while I was there and took my oldest boy with me and took Carol with me one time. It's a big ceremony. I mean, it's not like Nebraska hunting where you trance around the fields. It's all organized and ready to go. 
and it's hmm. only the middle class get to hunt. The rest of them are pushing the game or something like that. It's it's a bit hierarchical, but uh, nonetheless a lot of fun. The, they exchange presents just like we do. Probably not so many as we do. They couldn't believe the number of presents under the tree for the kids. They usually get, like I did when I was a kid, I get one, Santa would bring one important gift, uh, and then you got gifts from other people. But uh, Santa probably brought uh, three or four to our kids, and uh, they they enjoyed them very much. And if they didn't get three or four, it was kind of frown on their face. But if they got a big one, we'd probably cut down on the others. Judicious. Go ahead. When you're back at Wayne, when you're buying Christmas presents for your mom and dad, anything stands out, Uncle Jim, over the years? I, m- I remember mom going <coughs> to the dime store to buy perfume for mom, for, for grandma. Yeah, yeah. Blue Waltz was the yes. big one there. but. <laughs> Uncle Watkins, you don't want to buy that. And I say, oh, yes, sir, I do. I think my mother loves it. <laughs> it probably went out in the garbage the day after. But uh, back, uh, you talked about ceremonies before. Let me just go into it. We always went to our grandmother's place, my mom's mom, for Thanksgiving because we were all going to stay at home. It was always fun to go down there because uh, she's a great farm cook and uh, and there's always at least three kinds of meat, multiple vegetables, four kinds of pies, and a cake in there. And it, that was uh, heaven for a little boy. The Wow. Sounds like it, it might have been heaven for a lot of adults, too. Well, I really enjoyed the farm life. I'm getting a little bit off the subject. But uh, <clears throat> I think I went, to the, I went to the farm every summer for three years in high school. I think it was for recurrent training. Uh, my Mother would send me, and I'd always complain about it because too much <laughs> hard work and got to get up early and milk cows. And but I really loved it, and so I used to say that just so that she'd get a little distempered with me and send me there anyway. So, <laughs> but I learned a great deal of things. I knew I didn't want to be a farmer because your mother nature is not always a nice person to farmers, and uh, it had to be a tough life in many ways. But they yeah. were darn good farmers and had a great time. In fact, my grandfather was famous in that he farmed a bit down in Arkansas, and he brought cotton back to Nebraska, which he'd never seen before. Of course, he didn't do very well, but uh, anyway, he had a cotton field about 10 acres, and there was always a big festival at the, in the September time frame in which he always displayed his cotton, and half the people didn't know what it was. But they're a very lively group, and you know, you asked earlier about <clears throat> as a as a lieutenant or a captain, I didn't participate much in the care and feeding of the troops because I wasn't high enough rank. But as I started to get up as major lieutenant colonel, colonel, and certainly brigadier and and major general and lieutenant general and general, we always uh, the commanders always went to the dining hall, and we served. We didn't cook it. They probably wouldn't eat it, but they would, we wouldn't cook it. We served all the enlisted guys and their families for about three hours, and then we'd fix ourselves a plate and go sit with them. It was always a, a great time to sit down and talk 
person to person of those people, especially the wives and the kids, they they just they'd never experienced that before, and they always enjoyed it. In fact, uh, one little boy who was a was my crew chief on my airplane said, uh, I think it was uh, Major Davis, can I come sit at your table? And I said, sure. And so every year for two years, I had him at my table and his mother and father. And our t- we took our kids, too. It was just a good experience for them. What well, did I, your kids take home for that? I'm sorry, Walter, go. For us civilians, what time would what time would you feed the troops? Would it be in the morning and in the afternoon? What, during the Christmas day, what, how, how long would they keep the mess hall open? For uh, mess hall would stay open from 4 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Wow. And that was because to get the shift people. We didn't have too many shift people on holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like Carol would, uh, uh, after while we are feeding the, the troops, Carol and some other wives baked cookies and took them to all the people that were on duty. The tower, the security police, uh, the the maintenance uh, command post, the the operations command post, and they had turkey sandwiches and things like that. But they loved the cookies. <laughs> were they assigned? Were they assigned time slot? How would you manage feeding people throughout the day like that? Did they assign you could be here at four o'clock or four thirty? How would they manage? The, the, from four the to five was the shift shift workers. Okay. And from five to ten, five to about seven thirty would be uh, the regular people just coming in after church or something like that. And then from uh, there on at ten o'clock, we'd feed the uh, the cooks and the bakers. So it was a long day, but it was a wonderful day. A wonderful day. What was conversation at the table like with the troops talking with the general? Very muted at first. Like, oh God, do I have to do this? And, uh, <laughs> but after we got by the first five or ten minutes, uh, we basically said, "Look, as long as you don't bend, spindle, or fold me, fold me, you can ask me any question I want. You want." And usually the kids started, how'd you get here? I said, well, they flew me over. <laughs> oh, and then that, that would end that one, and then we'd go on to another one. But do you like flying airplanes? So it, it's wonderful. It's one of the nicest things you can do, unless they're shooting at you, and then it's not too much fun. But uh, nonetheless, it's like being in the air with almost a care. I feel I feel like a bird uh, when I get in that airplane. I've flown it long enough. I know exactly what it's going to do. And it's just a pleasure to grab hold of it and make it do what you want it to do. And uh, could I be a pilot? And I said, sure. Got to go to school, get your degree, and come on, write me a letter, and I'll help you get in. Did any of them ever follow up? I'm sure they did, but they were so young that I probably was out of service before it happened. So I, I got letters. I mean, there, I, uh, there was one guy who uh, was from uh, Iowa, I think, and he said, you told me you could help me get me in. I said, well, I forgot to give you the provisos. First of all, you've got to be pretty smart. 
And secondly, you've got to be able to pass the test. I can do that, sir. Well, what's your uh, GPA? Uh, 4.12. Of course, I didn't know what the hell that was because you could only get an A or a B when I went to school. <laughs> but nonetheless, it it uh, I sponsored a couple of them the academy. Well, in fact, uh, 12 total in my lifetime. But I, I wouldn't ever sponsor them if I hadn't met them. And one time I actually flew out to, I was going out to Omaha anyway, and he met me in Omaha. <clears throat> he was from Otomo, Iowa. And uh, sat down with he and his dad and his mom, and I said, first of all, you got to tell me you really want to get in there because it's not going to be fun for a while. And uh, I had one girl, including my daughter, that wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. It was right after they opened up, and I said, you know, it's not really very much fun. You ought to have a little fun while you're going to college. So two of them went. So, and they did well. What was the most craziest question somebody ever asked you during one of those Christmas get-together? Any, anything that shook your head from maybe from a little kid or anything? Or from a, you know, a private or something? Uh, Yeah. Oh, I use it tough on marijuana. I said it's against the law. So if it's against the law and I catch you with it, I'm going to prosecute you. Outside of that, you can get away with a lot of things. Uh, the other one was, did you know you wanted to be a general <laughs> when you grew up? And I said, I had no idea. I, You know, I just don't know how I became a general, but I did, and so now I'm going to act like one. And uh, <laughs> he said, well, you sure do. You know, and, but I'd say that there were usually questions about careers. Uh, what else should I go into? Because he was getting he was getting a notice from personnel that they got too many people, too many high-ranking NCOs and that high-ranking tech, technical sergeant. Uh, in area career fields, so they're asking him to retrain uh, to another career field. And so I'd walk him through the process since I I was the commander of the military personnel center, so I know pretty well. And I'd like to talk about that as well. Pentagon. Talk about anything you want. Oh, I know. You said that, and I promise to honor it <laughs> and not switch hats on you here. Tell me about your training of personnel when you were head of the Pentagon personnel? Uh, it started out by accident. Uh, when I was at uh, Westover, our first base, first real base, uh, the, the Vietnam War was going on. And uh, I thought if I'm a good Air Force officer, I'm going to be in it. So to do that, I volunteered to go to the Pentagon. And I worked in the basement of the Pentagon as a captain and I was in charge of all the POW MIA records. <clears throat> uh, to do that, I probably need to know some things about personnel. So I started bugging people, the, either of equal or higher rank, about what should I be watching out for? Or what is it I can do to make sure the service is better? Or something like that. And they they kind of looked like me, at me a little bit like I was nuts. But then after they really figured I was serious, they spent time, I mean, really good quality time sitting down with me and telling me how the personnel system works and, and so forth. And so 
I was a better staff officer for that. I was only there one year, so I go to Southeast Asia. But uh, it caught up with me later on. Coming home from Belgium as a major, uh, I had to go to uh, an intermediate, what they call an intermediate service school in Norfolk, Virginia. And coming out of there, I had a fighter assignment to Holloman Air Force Base in uh, New Mexico. Well, there was this honorary four-star, three-star general at the time uh, that thought that the personnel guys are too too normally capable of saying no, we can't do that. So he wanted to be some function, bring some functional people and people in there. And they pick, he picked four of us out of. Uh, Intermediate Service School and brought us to the Military Personnel Center for the first time. That's where I learned most of my personnel, and uh, it's it's one of the nicer jobs that if you can, you can do something nice for somebody. Uh, and we had a great success. I I was there. I wanted to stay one year and go back to Southeast Asia, but we were working on something very critical. And uh, every time I take my request down, I tear it up and say, "See you next year." So I spent four years there. That's the longest time at any one base that I ever spent. Then I went off to senior service school, uh, which is in Montgomery, Alabama, and they they wanted me to get in personnel again. I said, no, I really got to go fly. I flew all the time. I was at the military personnel center, the Ministry of Airplanes. But uh, so I left there and I went to fly. I flew for the next uh, 15 years. How much contact but, did you have? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Uh, no, how much contact right. did you have with uh, the Pentagon personnel themselves, and was any of it at Christmas time? Uh, and the, see, I was in San Antonio, and the, the Pentagon, the rest of the Pentagon was up in uh, Washington, D.C., and so mm-hmm. we tried not to that. travel around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One year I spent 266 days out of 365 up there because we were working on this project and had to be briefed to all levels of the command and and so we spent I spent a lot of time in one of the motels up there. And then I went up to the Pentagon, uh, leaving Tactical Air Command and became the director of personnel programs. So it was a really really interesting. It was also the programming business. I had a very large budget. It was called the Permanent Change of Station Budget. And so I spent a lot of time up there doing that. Uh, it, in briefing all kinds of levels, uh, I was a uh, colonel at the time. And they kind of like to eat colonels up there, but they didn't get any piece of me, I can tell you that. Because <laughs> I knew yeah, more than they did. Wow. You sound like you're very intact. On that level, Uncle Jim, though, would you oversee certain programs that affect the personnel during Christmas time? Were, were, were there any special programs that you sort of looked at that made sure? No. No. I, I didn't. That was up to the local commander. We had liberal Christmas leave. We stood down about on the 20th, I think it was, and we didn't start up again until about the 2nd of January. So people had some time to go to leave, on leave, mm-hmm. and it was very liberal leave. Now, when I was a, uh, I was a nuclear wing commander at Nellis, and I, I couldn't, they knew it. Uh, I briefed them, 
but we couldn't afford that program because I was on call. I had to be at my station overseas in 48 hours. Fine line. We're talking so there were with... some hardships. In a normal wing, it wasn't too bad. But uh... I'm, I want to pick up with the hardships after I finish telling people who we're talking with. We're talking with Walden's Uncle Jim. You have heard him mention Uncle Jim. But for the rest of us, we're talking with General James B. Davis, J.B. Davis, United States Air Force retired general. And this is pre-recorded on December 15, 2016. So we're not able to take calls, but we're going to ask all the questions that you could have come up with, I hope. <laughs> so t- tell me about the challenges that you just mentioned. And now I see. Uh, well, challenges, of course, I was not in com- totally in command, but I was in command of certain units during the bad drug period. Uh, and and a lot of it came from Vietnam uh, because it was so easy to find and get and use. The Air Force had its share of it. It wasn't as bad as other services because we, you know, we ride to work generally and uh, the Army walks to work, and so they had more contact in that whole process, and it, it was a very tough situation. But then we really started cracking down on it, and uh, we bring the drug dogs in. It, it, when I was wing commander in Ellis, it was too expensive to fly the drug dogs in from uh, Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado. and But we had a dog we called Old Blue. He was just the friendliest dog you've ever seen so we'd take him into the dormitories and for some reason these kids were fascinated with the seeds and they'd save them i don't know what for but when they'd hear old blue coming through the seeds went out the window uh in the in las vegas you get about an inch and three quarters of rain in february i got a call <laughs> about mid-february or maybe late february and civil engineers called me and said you got a marijuana patch growing out of your uh, side side yard of your dormitories, so we had to go over and kill it. I mean, those seeds multiplied, and but they were really quite good about it. We found them, we treated them. If they didn't stay treated, we separated them. So because it's too much of an effect on the other people who don't want to do that. Yeah. The uh, the drug problem was bad during the Vietnam War, but it's literally almost non-existent now. I want, to take you, I want to take you back to, uh, you asked me of some outstanding memory of uh, when I when I was a child at Christmas. Uh, one year I probably was not your model child. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so I go down to empty my stocking, and there was coal and switches in it. Oh, ooh. That, that made such an impression. I used it on my son once, too. Uh, that made such an impression on me. I I was a very good boy at least three months before Christmas. <laughs> and uh, and that, that that really that that's something that burned in my mind and stayed there for very to, to this day for that matter. Uncle I remember that he had coal in his stocking one Christmas. That's where my folks probably got the idea. <laughs> coal in the stocking. Did you later on wind up with a traditional Christmas stocking? 
or were you stuck with the oh, cold? Oh, we all have stockings. Uh, we get, the kids get a lot of things in them. We get uh, chocolate Santa Claus and uh, a couple what do we call stocking stuffers, but uh, mm-hmm. the kids are the ones that really. And that's when we open stockings. Everybody opens them at the same time. But when we open presents, it starts with the youngest, and they all sit there and watch the youngest, and then the next youngest, and so on. So that we can see and have everybody else see what each one of them got. Ah, and nowadays, it, it, there were times that lasted two and three days because uh, parents, me, friends, neighbors all sent packages in, and we'd be opening them on 27th. My goodness. My goodness. I remember well, there weren't that many, but it really got slowed down because it one at a time. I remember Uncle Wad used to saying that he could always count on Christmas Day getting called in to open the pharmacy for somebody that might have gotten yeah, flashlight bulbs true. or something. You know, always. You, you always expected to get to go have to open the store for somebody. Sort of like a doctor. You yeah. know, they all do that. Not today. And I don't have them because it's. Christmas is sort of sacrosanct. It's mm-hmm. time you have your kids around you and any relatives in the local area. And, and we always have a special Christmas breakfast and a special Christmas dinner. And every time we try to divert from it, I get complaints from the children. <laughs> what is a traditional Christmas dinner at your house? It's usually uh, we do a turkey breast. We also do a ham, and uh, but in the morning it's a brunch. It's uh, a a quiche and uh, Mm. sweet rolls and a melange of fruit and it's it's something, and we still do it. And you still do it. Do your kids do it? Yes, exactly. That's a, so they that, picked it up what, and carried it on. Well, you you wonder sometimes when you're trying to teach them a lesson if it's going to take, and boy, it does. So you got Walter, two this in there. Hold on, it's a little long. You you nope. make sure you edit it. Uh, take out the oh, bed. No, 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 no. We'll no. be on for five hours. I'm on for five hours normally. So if we go an hour or so, Uncle Jim, that's fine. So we're good. Okay. We're good. Um, we are more than fine. That's what, one of one of the good parts about having a flexible Walden as a partner. I'm flexible. Well, uh, he can't play cribbage very well. <laughs> well I'm I'm relieved to know that there's something in there. But he's learning. Uh oh. My oh my uncle and, and I. And he plays with those he plays with those marked cards, you know, and I worry about that. You know, you know I, I never play I for money about with him. That. I did ask him about that one night. By golly. You're going to have to learn Braille. Oh, well, then you were going to he, help. He sits there, and I think he I think he reaches over and feels your own cards and figure out what they are. <laughs> before no, I, uh, Walt and I have had a good time over the years. We uh, have. Uh, we, like, we like to play games yes. and, uh, and trivia, and he always gets on the other side, and I lose. But that's how that. Oh, you're like, a pretty tough competition, Uncle Gim. Well, I am as you talk about aviation and a few things, <laughs> a few things like that, but not what's the latest bebop out there. I don't listen to it. 
Neither do we. Yeah. I I think you're safe. Neither do we. Would yeah. the officer quarters do anything special? Would they decorate the the, oh, the officers? Yeah, we all dec. We yeah. always decorated, and the and the base was decorated. Overseas, uh, we always had a party for the Japanese about a week before. The the wives would put together a group to bring them in to make Christmas ornaments. They did popcorn and cranberries one time. Japanese are wonderful people. They're you know the they're sexist, but those women uh, are very strong, even though it doesn't look like it. Uh, and they uh, they get right in the middle of that, making Christmas cards, Christmas ornaments, ornaments at Christmas time. They do it in other times too. So it's 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 a great bonding uh, process. We enjoyed our three. I spent three and a half years there. I got delayed a, half, a year. Uh, because something happened on the air staff, which we won't go into. But no. uh, but they're like children in so many ways with things like stringing popcorn and cranberries. We had a party, uh, this has nothing to do with Christmas, but at our house, and we set up tents outside because we're going to do it outside, but it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and the women would be up to their ankles in mud out there. So we moved everything inside and changed all the games to uh, American games. We had a tie horse that uh, uh, Carol's sister Linda had given us. We have one more since then. And so we dressed them up in a serape and a hat, and the man would always sit on the horse and the woman would stand behind him. And I had an old tie rifle I bought from a guy who was trying to shoot at us. It was the only rifle in town, so for a hundred bought five dollars, so I got the rifle. So he, he'd have to go find another one. Uh, and so I put, and this thing, it's about almost five, five and a eleven, five inches, eleven feet tall. Ooh. And the the guy would sit there with this rifle in his hand, and the woman would stand, and the chins would come up, and everybody, nobody would get on there. So finally, I took the commander over and sat him down, brought his wife over, gave him the rifle, the strappy, and the Mexican hat, <laughs> and uh, then they all lined up. You know, it, it they're wonderful people. They're different but uh we played uh, uh the musical chairs uh and <laughs> one japanese wife who was a very strong contender <clears throat> she put a hip into her husband and went flying across the room so she'd get the last chair And then we had another one with a garbage sack. You, you get a grocery garbage sack, and you have to put your hands behind you, stand on one leg, and bend down and pick it up with your teeth. After everybody's done that, you cut about two inches off that thing. Excuse me. <coughs> one of the wives, the same one that gave the hip to her husband, had it down to four inches. There wasn't an American wife that get down that far, but they're used to getting up and down like that and she just killed everybody. Wow. She was it was amazing the things we saw. You know, I will add a couple of things. I'm I'm a just a country boy from Nebraska. But I've done a lot of things. Uh that 
I I knew it wasn't because of my magnetic personality, but it was because of my position. I went to Hirohito's funeral. I've seen more emperors than MacArthur did. And Carol and I went to Akihito's coronation. Absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, never mind. <laughs> Wildest dreams would I ever think of something like that. But that's the kind of things that you get exposed to in the military, regardless of what rank you are, because... When Hirohito died, there were only two military guys in there, myself and the King of Jordan. But at Akihito, he invited, because he's more of a public guy, he invited some enlisted guys from uh, from uh, Yokota Air Base uh, and the Army Base and the Navy Base, about 10 of them. They all sat in the same row. They stood up and saluted him when he came in. It just They were well rehearsed and ready to go. And, and it's just things like that just warm your heart that he'd pay enough attention to the people and uh, I was just thinking about put, I was just thinking about Hawaii Uncle Jim because we because our family visited you twice in Hawaii and yes, Patricia and I th- yeah Patricia and I just got done interviewing one of the Pearl Harbor survivors and it's yeah. still amazing to me that 2,000 of them still with us and he would tell me they had a celebration. I know this is a little off Christmas, but maybe you can help us out. The the, the Pearl Harbor dinner that they put the, was that put together by the military or by the Pearl Harbor committee? No, the, by by Honolulu people. Wow. The Chamber of Commerce and several other organizations put together, and uh, I this is a story you probably want to fade, but I had a, a cute story about. They were holding it in Las Vegas in 1979, mm-hmm. the Pearl Harbor Remembrance. Right. And they were down in a big hotel. I was having trouble getting my airplanes generated and flying just because we'd been behind the power curve for so long. We had 54 airplanes. And uh, so I came up with the brilliant idea that after we passed our operational readiness inspection that I'm going to devise some way to get as many airplanes in the air. So I stood down on a Wednesday, uh, and we generated airplanes, and I promised any airplane that got generated and was combat-capable, the crew chief would ride in the back seat. It was a great incentive for those guys to get it done. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm the only one that didn't have a back seat or my back seat because uh, I had a weapon systems operator, navigator, and it was just to keep track of where everybody was. And we got 52 airplanes up in the air after only being able to get about 36 in a, a lot of time. Uh, we just rendezvoused up, and we actually exercised a classified plan, uh, so we had a little cover anyway, and the way I designed it and briefed it is that we'd have uh, three-mile spacing and four ships. If four ships come out, they they all pitch out separately, but but as a formation. Well, three miles wasn't enough. So the last four airplanes pitched out over downtown Las Vegas, which is 22 miles away. I got a letter from the Pearl Harbor survivors thanking me for the flyover I gave <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> I end up getting a congressional over it, but uh, after I answered the questions, they dismissed it. But uh, nonetheless, 
it was unintended, but I really, uh, you know, I'm not permitted to do a flyover unless it's authorized, and this was unauthorized, but uh, it sure pleased the Pearl Harbor people. Very few groups it should please, and that was one of them. Sometimes you've got to be lucky, not good. <laughs> what about the Naval Academy? Was there anything special? Did they, they, they let you go home for Christmas, or did you have the yeah, kids we- no, we went home for Christmas every year. Uh, that was at that time. That was the only time the plebes could do it off. And I went home for Christmas every year after that, mm-hmm. and participated in uh, the local uh, festivities at my home, and uh, enjoyed it very much. Uh, the last year, I didn't spend the full two weeks there because I was engaged to marry my current your aunt. Yep. And so I went back and spent four days with her before I had to go back to the Academy. But there was always a wonderful concert by our own midshipmen, a wonderful concert by the band who was the enlisted people. Uh, we always went to a cotillion out in town, or two or three of them, and mm-hmm. they'd always send 100 midshipmen to make the 50 girls there were able to dance with somebody. <laughs> uh, it was We called them tea fights. You had to fight to get in line, you know. But it, it, the Chris and we'd all be in our full dress, and uh, it 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 was a nice time. Were they decorate and, the academy at all? Were they do anything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The both cannons as you come in next uh, would have a Christmas tree next to it, and wrapped in uh, evergreens and lights on it, and yeah, we and we all we sang. Christmas carols at supper, whether you wanted to or not. And, uh, you know, it was very festive, but going home was the best thing. Back to Hawaii, maybe you want to describe your little office at Hickam Air Force, at Hickam Air Force Base. What I, what I remember about is still the bullet holes are still in the stairwells. It's, they're still there. In fact, one commander uh, wanted to said they looked awful we need to plaster them over and a riot rose up and uh, he de- he declined to do that after a while won't mention his name but uh, <laughs> i know who he is <laughs> but it's part of our history yeah you know yes the yes. the hawaiians are big christmas people i mean they're big luha people they'll have a luha at a drop of a hat and they put on one at christmas time it's just unbelievable everywhere you go there's one going and uh, and they sing sing hawaiian songs uh, 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 christmas songs in hawaiian language and we'd even sing along with them maybe we didn't know the words but yeah. nonetheless it was, it was a big celebration on that island yeah, very musical language. Tell me about the Luau's, and I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but I hope you'll forgive me. What constituted one of those celebrations? Well, they usually cook a pig uh, in the ground, out on the beach, and they have poi. Uh, they eat out of banana leaves. The poi tastes like uh, library wall paste, but uh, outside of that, it, you'd eat a little bit just to be nice. And then they'll have... Uh, Raw fish and uh, and then all kinds of cooked fishes. I mean, they it's a four-hour affair, and probably eight hours when you figure out the cooking. But they have a good time. What about entertainment? 
usually on the main beach down there, uh, they wouldn't let them do it on the Waikiki, but there's a beach up a little further north that they'd have the, the luau's, and then sometime they do on the other side of the island. It was always a little windy over there, so the fire kept going different places. But, uh, uh, but it, I mean, it's just one celebration after another. Interesting. How about the troops, the the enlisted personnel who were in Hawaii? Did they get to participate in any of that? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and, and they had different. Uh, I don't want to say different levels, but they had the chamber Congress ran one, the Air Force sergeants ran one. Uh, VFW, uh, uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars uh, ran one. Uh, it, it, there were so many of them that you probably could have gone dating one of them. Nobody complained, but uh, they just one after another. That's encouraging. I really like that. Tell me about the culture, the Christmas culture in Hawaii that goes beyond the luau's. Well, they all they all have a lay on that signifies Christmas. Uh, they put on the native at the luau's. They've already got grass skirts and other things on. Uh, but they very bright colors and uh, is really something. And December is is a cooler month, so you'll see some of them with hoodies on, but that's, it's probably only 80 degrees. You know, they, they don't like <laughs> cold weather. But, I mean, every, downtown is decorated. It's just, it's a flower island, and there are flowers everywhere. In the 90s, when you were chief of staff of NATO, how did other countries or the, the different generals, did, would they have different Christmas, cu- Christmas customs that they invite you guys to party? How would you guys Yeah, they're, they're always a slew of parties. You know, we'd have to have a meeting and, and say, okay, which one do we want to go to? Which one do we have to go to? And now we're out of days. And uh, we could be out to eat four nights a week, uh, in that NATO atmosphere. Of course, there was only one country that was not uh, a Christian, and that was Turkey. So they didn't celebrate very much, but they celebrated Mon- Ramadan, a couple of those things. But they they didn't take any notice of it uh, at all. It's just a different religion. 92% of them are, quote, Muslims, or Islam, but a lot of them are uh, and there's some in the military that practice Islam, uh, but in a very quiet way. Uh, wonderful people. I, I probably I have a son-in-law that's Turkey, and I've been more pleased in Turkey than he is. I've just been all over that country for various reasons. And uh, but I I really enjoyed NATO. I was there 20 years previous as the chief of staff, aide, and then I come back 20 years later. Uh, as the chief of staff, and one was a, and I happened to speak French, uh, which I had uh, about five years in school and spent two summers in the Mediterranean with the Navy, so I got fairly decent. But then when I, <clears throat> I was telling you about this family that babysit with me, we'd go down there. Carol didn't speak French. Kimberly spoke a little bit. Jim was too embarrassed, and Stephanie, you know. Uh, she she was hanging on uh-huh. and 
they'd say, tell Madame Davis this. And that time I was, I'd have to turn it over my head from English to French and then, or French to English, and then she'd give me an answer. I asked her, please, not too long. <laughs> because, but one day I woke up dreaming, or one night I woke up dreaming in French, and I could talk on the telephone where you can't see them move their hands or point or anything like that. I could listen on the telephone. And I suddenly found out I didn't have to turn it over my head. And so I really became a cut-up after that. I could I could move along almost with anybody, except for if they got in the idioms, but uh, or the, uh, the the different languages some of those places have. But in 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 shape, and also in NATO headquarters, you were entitled to go in and take either French or English lessons. We didn't teach Greek or anything else. So if you're Greek, you could take English lessons. If you're English, you could take French lessons because that's the two languages of the thing. And every country has a party on their national day. When I was there, every two years. Now it's every three, I think it is. <coughs> what would be the part of... Just... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Uncle. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. What would be the protocol of entertainment when <coughs> when you had to bring somebody home? Would you talk to Carol? Um, uh, say a month out, we we need to have so and so. How would you handle? How would you coordinate with Aunt Carol when you knew you had to entertain at home, and that way she oh. had to be prepared? Or what? she was at the meeting. Okay. She she was at the my protocol officer, my aide, uh, Carol, and I would sit down. And uh, and we literally, I mean, we had more invitations we could answer. And I, I don't like to be a, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to leave, I've got to go to another party. Uh, if I commit to it, I'm going to it. Okay. I think that's rude. Uh, <clears throat> it's just my opinion. But, and the, we rode in around an armored car. Uh, it was very uncomfortable because of all the shielding in it. But when we went to Brussels, their dinners were always at seven o'clock. At Shape, we always had the dinners at six thirty, so they could get home at a decent hour. But then Carol and I had to come back in that armored car, and it was very difficult to sleep in. <laughs> so, so were, were most of were most of meeting the most of celebration to be at at a? What they would not be at home; they would be at some location, at some office. Majorities corner. majority were going to be at locations. Okay. Uh, some country like Luxembourg and uh, Iceland, they only had one representative there, and so he didn't live in a very big house, so he'd always take us to a restaurant. But the Germans, the the, the Italians, geez, that was a party and a half. <coughs> uh, they always had, usually had, the Germans always brought music in. What they did is they, they required mandatory enlistment, and then the, the generals had spin off all the musicians and that was their entertainment we didn't have a band but we had a piano player so that was all we needed so but we would that be literally part of, we would would that be we part would of, do would that be part of go ahead. would that be part of Inkel's duty to figure out the entertainment or would that be you two put your head together how would you decide when you're the host well we we had an air force piano player there and uh, he wasn't in any band because we didn't have a shape band but he could really play the piano and so we'd hire him for 
two hours before, and that would be the end of it. Uh, he wouldn't play out through the night, but he was one great piano player. And uh, we also had one in Japan, but we had a band there. But it, it, the entertainment was sort of a facade. If you had it, you got used it, and if you didn't have it, you would uh, make some small chat. But uh, on on balance, it was, they were very nice parties, very formal, always black tie. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, they got a little honorary uh, after a while. But, uh, yeah, how many times out in a week can you eat? Uh, <laughs> I had a Sunday non-violation unless it's national emergency. So nobody could bug me on Sunday. I, Patricia and I, at least once, maybe twice a year, have the head of marketing you know, for Toys for Tots. The Marines, yeah. and they're so well organized yeah. for the Christmas toy for the uh, service, you know, for people outside the service. Did the Air Force do anything like that? Maybe for the enlisted men? How would you guys handle toys and things that you knew somebody needed some help? We do that. We do that through the wives' club and the enlisted wives' club, and we find out without being too intrusive who's really got a problem. And uh, and. It, they they make a little money off of uh, selling things, and a lot of us add a little money to it, and so they'll get, and we, they'll hire Santa Claus, and they'll go around to these houses that they're really in need, and then we always have a, uh, the, of course, the dinner uh, at the dining hall, and then they each wives club has a, a party. Uh, we had, in later days had to call it a holiday party, but uh, which is already with me. Uh, Every year, and it usually was about a week before Christmas, so we didn't interfere with any other activities. So there was plenty to do, but we didn't have a, we had an organized, but not an external one. Like the Marines are external, you know, they're a very professional force, and they do things right. A friend of mine happened to be the the president of Ties for Tots for about six years. He did a great job. He followed the guy that got fired because he, his salary was way too high, and money sort of disappeared. But Terry, in fact, he was my deputy in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, he ran that thing with an iron fist, as only Terry could do, and and he really got some production out of it. In fact, their their gifts increased increased by about three hundred percent while he was was in charge. And uh, so, but but there was no organized, re- there was an organized but not a mandated party on a basis, but the wives got mm-hmm. together. Usually it was generated by the wives, and uh, and they did a superb job. How would you handle the USO? When the USO used to tour for Christmas thing for the troop, would that be done by the local commander? Would that be from the Pentagon? What would tour the mechanics of arranging the different USO Christmas tours to come in? Coming town. Yeah, as, as, as the USO would come out on a pre-survey trip, and <clears throat> normally it was tied to the waste commander. But I said, when any SO team, a USO team comes, I want to see them. Uh, the reason I want to see them is I want to tell them what a great job they're doing, and two, uh, what do they really need, and what can we give you? You know, and 
they're they're already a little flabbergasted when they, especially when they had to come in and see the three star. We had Lee Greenwood and we had Alex Trebek and we had uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford and we had just a lot of people and it was wonderful. But they we always did it once in the NCO club and once in the NCO uh, the officers club, and then we had a base program, which is sort of my construction because I said you know I. I, I don't want to work you too hard, but I want everybody in this base to see you because it's such a treat. And uh, like I say, we had a lot of – I never had Bob Hove at the base. He was getting a little old at that point, but I sure would have liked to. I'd put him in an airplane and fly him around the place if he wanted to go. <laughs> one one quick story, I, and I probably ought not mention any names. We had this wonderful singer. Uh, come to Las Vegas when I was there. We had two of them. Uh, wanted to fly in an airplane. He was a very short guy, and uh, but we would always make him a flight suit or take a flight suit and all her, so he looked like a fighter pilot. <clears throat> he got out to the uh, to the airplane. He was going to fly him in the F-15, and F-15 is about uh, I'd say 15 feet off the ground before you get in the cockpit. So he's got his G-suit on, he's climbing up there, and he gets halfway up, and he looks down, he looks up, and he's still got about six feet to go. He comes shuffling back down the body. He says, I can't do it. Oh, no. And I said, well, certainly, that's you know that's your prerogative. He said, what can I do? I, I feel so embarrassed that I that I can't do it. Can I keep the flight suit? I said, sure, you can keep the flight suit. It doesn't fit anybody else. I didn't say that, but that's yes. what I was thinking <laughs> He said, what What can I do to talk to some people since I'm out here? And I said, well, let me take you over to the base exchange, which I had power to do. And even asking the manager if he wanted to buy some, he could do that too. Uh, he, he went over there, and he shook hands for an hour and a half, sang a little bit, uh, and then – he said he came over, and shook my hand. He said, "Thank you. This is wonderful." And I, I bought a couple of things too. And the BX manager said, "Yeah, thirty-three thousand dollars." <laughs> I said, "Well, we need a profit, sir. Uh, we appreciate it." Then he in in that was in November, I think, and then January he came back on the base and uh, called ahead of time, brought a low boy out there with his entire band and the sister sledge and they gave a three hour concert for the whole base. Just free of charge. Oh and you could go in Las Vegas you could go to any uh, celebrity show that just paid the the uh, entertainment tax it, it entertainment tax because that's what we owe the government. And that went from Kenny Rogers to people there in an hour. Would the military build a stage? Would they uh, have a theater? No, we, no, we use a low boy. You know what a low boy is? It's one of those trailers that is high up where it meets the truck and then it slows down. They put yes. caterpillars on there uh-huh. and things like that. And and they put that. They set that band up there and uh, plug into our high velocity electricity there. And in this hangar, it just I almost had tendonitis from before I left there, but it's it just it's 
it's a wonderful property. When Larry Holmes came to town, the, uh-huh. the heavyweight, and he was going to fight. Right. He sent me uh, ten ringside tickets. He was an enlisted guy in the army. Oh. And it said, uh, Colonel, if you don't mind, will you give these to enlisted guys? And it was a pleasure. So here you got five hundred dollar seats, which they probably shouldn't have taken, but I wasn't. I was going to ignore it because it, this is was so good. Mm-hmm. Out of from the bottom of his heart, he was an enlisted guy. He wanted to reward the enlisted guys. And there were three on three on each side except for one, and there was one on the other side, and he sat right next to the announcer's uh, table. That probably was a little bit more. Mm. But I didn't ask, and we didn't tell. <laughs> Good use. We're talking to my Uncle Jim, or uh, most people, General J.B. Davis, retired from the U.S. Air Force, and... We're just reminiscing about Christmas and a little bit about the fun parts of the uh, military. So, Patricia, your turn. My turn? Your turn. Okay. <laughs> All right. General yeah. Davis, when we were on the phone for a few minutes before we started recording, you talked a little bit about Vietnam, um, and it, it was it was really a, a challenging time for people home and there away from families. Nobody had families with them. Would you talk about that and also your time in Thailand? And you said that um, there, were, there were some pretty significant Christmas celebrations in both places. Yeah, and, and uh, the Vietnamese are wonderful Christmas celebrators, even though the war is going on. They're celebrating Christmas all up and down. That happened actually before I first got there. <clears throat> and, and But I saw some of the remnants of it. But the, they're a lot of them are Catholic people, and they, the Tet is a big celebration of the Catholic Church of Vietnam. And, of course, we had the biggest uh, combination of the Chinese New Year and the Christian New Year, and we had the biggest invasion of North Vietnamese in that time. And and But, anyway, when I was in Saigon, the uh, the they're celebrating something all the time there, you know, with firecrackers and which with people shooting at you, sometimes it makes you a little nervous, but uh, you, you you are someplace usually safe. I only spent 30 days in Thailand, or in Saigon, and I spent the next two trips, spent two months at, in Thailand at Ubon, which is midway up of Thailand, and then I spent my 100 missions, which was about nine months up at uh, Udorn, which is only 30 miles south of Laos and border border, but they're like I say they're they're always celebrating something. In Thailand, you see Christmas decorations, but not not as many as you do in Vietnam. The war was bad. Uh, people at home hated it. Uh, it it caused a great dissension in our in our country. Uh, we were using gradualism, which we've since found out it doesn't work very well. You go in there with over over resisting power and do the job in a shorter period of time. But we've we didn't really always learn the lesson in in the Southwest Asia. But I think we're getting getting a little closer to make those summaries. We always seem to fight the war we just left, and we're just finally deciding that we need to really. If we're going after them, we're going to need to go after them and get the job done. 
the one thing that we've failed at because one of the military is not trained for it is nation building. The uh, State Department, in my view, although Colin Powell did not think so, the, that state state building is not a military job. We're, one, we're not trained for it, and they said, but neither is the Secretary of State. So we almost need to look at that from a different aspect. Mm-hmm. In Thailand, it was fairly quiet. Uh, you didn't worry about uh, walking back from the club, which you might in Vietnam during that time. I was first there in 65 and then uh, 66 and again in 68, in, 66 in Thailand and 68 in northern Thailand. It was pretty quiet over there, except for we did have a sapper attack come in from Laos and wounded a couple people, and and the Thai police took care of them. But uh, in Saigon, you just you really couldn't know what was happening around the corner. Yeah. In fact, I was there one night uh, staying with a friend of mine out in town, and I'd come down for a conference, and we got rocketed, uh, which is, you know, does get your blood pressure up a little bit. Uh, I was telling Patricia that one thing about a Katusha rocket, if you're standing right on the intended target, you're probably not going to get hit. It's always go somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, but we were hunkered down for about eight hours, and then I finally got back out to the base, get in my airplane, got out of there. Yeah. I'd already finished the conference. But so, it, it was not it was not fun. Uh, I enjoyed being in combat because that's what I was trained for. Uh, I I I did what I was asked to do. There were some things I was restricted from doing. Didn't like those much, but. When the commander-in-chief says you do this, you say, yes, sir, you get the last two words. Uh, but we prosecuted the air war pretty well, except for we had so many restricted targets. And then when President Nixon came in, he removed that, and we got a peace treaty very shortly thereafter. So that's another argument for overwhelming power. Uh, yeah. And we've got the capability, or will wow. have the capability. Oh, my. Um they're just very difficult times to talk about for so many people. Yeah, um, it, it is. And, and Patricia, one more thing is that I did not. You could. You were allowed to take what they call a midterm for two weeks. Go and see your family. Since I knew I was going to be over with in nine months, I decided to hold off on that. My wife and kids were on the west coast, <clears throat> and and to meet her in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. That would be better. Than, Worrying about how to get back, you you get back to Vietnam, so you're not later. Thailand, so you're not late. Yeah. They didn't like that very much. But if you know if something happened to you, they wouldn't they wouldn't do anything bad to you. But so I met Carol in uh, in Honolulu in September of uh, 1968. We had a grand time. Uh, but when I landed, they hand me a uh, telegram said, please don't wear your uniform in San Francisco, but you will either be assaulted or spit on. And I thought that was the most outrageous thing I ever heard. Now, fortunately, we went back. I was in civilian clothes and went down, picked up my kids, and we flew to the West Coast and climbed on an airplane and went right to Germany. So I didn't have to live through that or the burning of abortion in the whole time. 
Yeah. So it, yeah, I was relieved of some of that despair. But uh, let me tell you one thing I do right now that I think is very important. I'm the chairman of the board of an outfit called Gratitude America. It was formed by a former uh, CEO of uh, ValueJet and AirTran. Put a lot of his own money in it. Uh, we have we treat PTSD patients patients uh, four times a year for ten days. They bring their handler with them, whether it be his wife or a girlfriend or whatever the case might be, and we go into big plenary sessions, and then we go down to small sessions. We do kayak therapy, we do uh, equine therapy, we do dolphin therapy. It's done on the east coast of Florida. Uh, we do an informal firm uh, survey at the end of six months after they're gone. And informally, and it's not scientific, we've calculated we've saved 11 marriages and six suicides. Wow. So I think it's doing some good. There are a lot of places around the United States that are doing that, and I recommend everybody look into them because uh, we still got some veterans that are hurting very badly, both from Vietnam and Iraq and, and Afghanistan. So do they estimate, that's my... Do they estimate what the percentage of combat troop has a situation like that, Uncle Jim? They don't know. They don't know, Walden, because some are non-reported and they're trying to tough it out by themselves, and that shouldn't happen. No. The treatment is good. It's great. They include the... Uh, Handler dogs uh, and different things, uh, psychiatric training. Uh, we had one guy in my first session that he couldn't finish the sentence without a crying. And it was just pathetic. I, I sat in with him. I, I was worried that uh, I might, you know, suppress the discussion. But uh, it turned out I didn't. And, and it was just heartbreaking to hear some of the stories that, we had one one kid, and I'll get off your phone, but he was from Baltimore. He was a black kid. He had anger management that just wouldn't quit. And so we're running through this uh, uh, dolphin and, and kayak. And now it came time to go to the equine. He came up to me and he said, General, I, I can't go. I said, why? He said, I'm, I'm afraid to death of horses. He said, I'm inner city of Baltimore. I just, I, I never been around a horse. I said, okay, I tell you what, why don't you and I just go down there and we'll stand off to the side and we'll watch everybody else. Then you can see what that treatment is like. Okay, but don't leave me. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to leave you. And uh, we got there, we're talking. He's talking to some other people who had been leading the horses around. Some got on them. And I turned around to say something to somebody else. The next thing I know, he's got his arms around this horse's neck. So you know you made some progress there. Wow. Wow. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We have overstayed our welcome, but I do have a question before you leave. We have a very strong military presence all over the world. And when you and others were away from family, away from friends at Christmas time. What meant a lot to you, things that people might be able to do for our troops today? At home? Just at, for, 
we were well taken care of over there. We had we had our churches. We had uh, all kinds of athletics and things like that. Mm-hmm. We used to send uh, tapes back and forth, so now they can get on the on the boob tube and and really yeah have good chats. But for the folks at home, it's nobody cares, uh, especially if you're not if you're on an air force base or an army base or a marine base or a navy base. You got a support group there. But my support group for my wife and kids happened to be my mother, uh, a, uh, her sister, and her brother were there, and they included them in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, but that doesn't always exist. Now there are some, there are some bases that will go out and seek out people that that they aren't in their arms on the base. But somehow we just really need a little more recognition for those people that stayed behind. Uh, the heavy Army users, uh, they've got big sport groups that go out and seek everybody, but the smaller bases may not. And uh, yeah. I haven't well, been in a game in a long time, so I can't really tell you how well organized that is. Now, yeah. we know on every Air Force base we have what we call a, a family sports center. And if anything happens to you, whether you're on base or off base, that you need help with, you just go to that thing. We call it the Consolidated Base Personnel Officers for Families. And they had great uh, capability to reach out and, and help people. Mm-hmm. The military really sticks together in wartime and when there's an aircraft accident. How do you, you, never w- seen How do you guys work with go the chap ones? Do you, um, how do you work with the chaplains? Do they, when they, let's say you know there's a military family in trouble, do you talk to the chaplains? You might, hey, you might drop in and see that family. How do you? Some, sometimes we don't know about it, but uh-huh. the, the, if if we do know about it, like for instance, when I was, the we had a chaplain who the head chaplain thought they ought to be ministering to the people on the flight line. <clears throat> And so I adopted each one of them in a squadron. And uh, the head chaplain was, excuse me, was uh, a little reluctant because he had to do counseling and write a sermon. And I said, just try it for a week. And if you don't like it, you don't have to come. Well, I couldn't get him off there after that. He said, why didn't you tell me all my counseling uh, could be done right here on the flight line? The people were having problems. We would... We would give them financial training, and I worried most about that because uh, they no longer were going to issue paychecks. It was direct to the bank, and a lot of them didn't have banks. Uh, but we did the financial counseling, and I got some real surprising answers there. But uh, on balance, uh, th- those kids are doing well, and they're being well looked after, and they enjoy the kind of celebrities that come on base. Uh, that's a big treat for them. They the cities sometimes have programs. I know down here in uh, Tampa, uh, they have a, a American uh, serviceman and their family appreciation night about three times a year. Uh, it, I've never, when I came back from Vietnam, I told you what it was like, and it was not happy. Right. I've, well, I've never seen so many people from the city go out to welcome. There will be, in every airport, uh, there will be a welcoming uh, group 
for the military. Uh, and they come in and they shake their hand. They, they tell them how much they thank them for service. You can't go anywhere in, in this area here without, if you have, let's say, I right now I got an Air Force shirt on. Somebody will say thank thank you for your service. And we're even uh, we it's a thing called buy forward and and Starbucks. Uh, they're they're buying drinks for the firefighters and the police and and any military they see walking around. So and I'm talking about coffee, not drinks. And, uh, <laughs> I I've never out. seen it as good as it is right now. Why is that? Now, why is it well, we learned our lesson from Vietnam. Why why is it good today? I, yeah, I don't really know, Walden, except for and I'll ask some of them. I've asked many of them. He said, one we did badly coming out of Vietnam, but secondarily, these kids have been far places of the world, and we never really re- realized that before. And we've had conflicts for 15 years, so it's just it just feels good to say thank you for your service, thank you for your service, and it, you just mm-hmm. it happens all the time. And I'm so proud of them because uh, it was so crummy coming home from Vietnam. Wow, that that is really great. And I know how difficult it was um, all around in Vietnam, and it was just yeah, it was I, it, it was it, not it was a bad time in our history, bad time to remember, bad time to have lived through. And we had the draft then. That's what killed the draft. I'd like to have it back, but it's not possible. You know, when we had the draft, we had a slice of America yeah. going into the service. Now we have a lot of hot spots that want. They want for the education. They want to travel, and I don't blame them. We've got good recruiting. I can't complain about that. Yeah, I, I'm still. I was looking at the stat a couple of weeks ago, Uncle Jim. That there's only one percent of the U.S. population are veterans. Yes, that that disturbs me to think that there's only one percent. Let, let me give you another one. Okay. Uh, about sixty-two percent of the House of Representatives are uh, veterans, and it's now down less than ten percent. The Senate was a little bit lower than that, but it's, it's actually higher than that now. So, uh, and and frankly, our armed forces are about in the best shape it was before Pearl Harbor right mm. now, on equipment and money and uh, things to purchase bombs and missiles and shoes and uh, I've never seen it. I've never been so worried for my country as I, as I was. For November eighth, and now I'm going to wait and see. We're talking with Walden's Uncle Jim. You have heard Walden talk about his Uncle Jim, and for the rest of us and me, I am talking with General James B. Davis, J.B. Davis, United States Air Force General, retired. And um, generals never retire, sir. I understand that. But we are pre-recorded on December 15, 2016, so we're not able to take calls, but we are able to ask questions. And I have one final question for you, and after that I'm going to ask you uh, what I should have asked that I didn't. <laughs> uh, well, did you have anything to jump nope, into? No, I think you could. Go ahead. Go ahead and follow up. Okay. Okay. When um, I, I, I want to not let go of the question that I asked, and and asked it poorly about having people at home do something for our troops. We've got troops in Afghanistan. We've got troops all over the place. If I had a friend 
who was a member of the military in Iraq, what could I do as a person to make that person's Christmas a little bit lighter? Well, first of all, send him a Christmas card. Okay. Or her. And secondly, uh, look up in Wikipedia and find out how cold it is over there and buy a pair of mittens or something, socks, and send it to him. You can send it through the APO. It it gets there fairly quick, not as much as if you send me something where you are to me. But uh, just a little something that says, I care. And we care so about you. Okay, it's the I care more than a selection. It's that yeah. I'm here, I'm thinking of you, and we're with That's you. That's right. All right. You can't oh, believe how that warms the heart. What what was the what was the best I, I don't want to say memory. Um when you say it warms the heart, what warmed your heart when you were serving overseas? Or in the in the Far East? I think I think it was in Japan. Mm-hmm. And Lee Greenwood came over there. And he was featuring that signature song, I'm Glad to Stand Up With You. He wanted to be the replacement for Bob Hope. And I said, well, Mr. Greenman, I, I appreciate that, but uh, he can be hard to replace. He said, I know mm. that. But he, he, he we, we took him to dinner over at the club. He performed at the club. And then he, uh, we went over to the enlisted club, and we performed over there. And finally, uh, I had a flight, early flight the next morning. I said, Mr. Green, I'm sorry, i got to go in crew rest. He said, that's all right. One of these guys will get me home. And uh, he stayed there at 2 o'clock in the morning. That wore my heart. That's a good memory. Yes. That's a really good memory. Tell me what you would have liked me to ask, and I didn't. Well, uh, I can't think of anything. You pretty much covered it. Let me look at my note in case I missed anything. You covered most of it. Uh, No, let's see. Is there anything I should have asked about Christmas celebrations in other countries? No, I don't think so. Uh, no, I, 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 everything I put on my note, I, I horned in. So you, you got it. <laughs> if you think anything, call me. <laughs> you are so much fun. We have been talking with General James B. Davis, J.B. Davis, United States Air Force retired, and this is. Walden's Uncle Jim. He talks about his Uncle Jim every once in a while on the Saturday Night Show. And I am just so honored that I had an opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much, and thank you for all you have done for us. Well, thank you for all you're doing for the, the program that you're on. It's uh, I, I listen. Walden sent me a bunch of tapes. I've been listening to tapes for years. Uh, I, I happen to be a friend of the Lamont Cranston Shadow and a couple things like that i love it okay he'll still beat me on nicknames and names of the people who who played them but i I, thoroughly have enjoyed i 
I remember when you want to know what was Tom Mick's horse's name, and I answered that one for a long time ago. You answered that one, and I and I I thought I had you, but then when I asked you what Little Beaver's horse's name, we got in a big argument, and you won. Oh, and I never argue with him with old time radio. I'll say I found this written in two places, but I believe you. Well, you gotta you gotta keep on him because otherwise he gets uppity. <laughs> no, he's he's not being particularly frisky, but once in a while, yes, yes, and and right. Trish is nice meeting you, and nice meeting you. And if you ever get up to uh, Tampa Way and want a free lunch, uh, give me a call. I will do that. Thank you so much, and thank you for m- our listeners for spending time with us. <laughs>